Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Just to recap very quickly, um, so Joseph comes from a, a very complicated family. Um, he has lots of brothers from multiple mothers, but one father um, who is called Jacob, or also known as Israel. Um, Jacob shows favoritism to Joseph um, as he is growing up um, and treats him to things like an ornate robe. Um, this makes his brothers despise him. Um, Joseph, at this, at this stage of the story, is also quite immature. Um, so he brings a bad report to his father about his brothers, um, and that makes them despise him even more. Um, and then, as we saw last week, jo- Joseph has uh, two dreams at the start of this story. Um, one about sheaves of corn, one about uh, the moon and the stars, essentially suggesting that the brothers are going to bow down to Joseph, which, as you can imagine, made his brothers despise him even more. Um, so this week, we're now into the kind of the build-up of our story. Um, and I think we can all agree we love a good story, whether that be in the form of a film um, or a book or just kind of the tales that we tell one another. Um, Bethana, who is my daughter, who's unfortunately not here, she's got chicken pox at the moment. So this title is When Hard Times Come, and she is going through a hard time at the moment. But Bethana currently loves asking for a bedtime story before she sleeps every night. But not one of her books. Oh, no, she wants us to make up a story at night time. I mean, the problem is she has a very good memory, um, and she sometimes wants the exact same story from a previous night. So the other night, I was settling her in the evening, and uh, she said to me, Daddy, please tell me the story about the rabbit. I said, sweetheart, I don't know the story about the rabbit. And she turned to me, and she said... Mummy knows the story about the rabbit. (laughs) So what did I do? I made up a story on the spot about a rabbit who had lost his friend. There were sandcastles involved. There was ice cream involved. It was a good story. It went down well. So I think that was all right. I got away with that one. But hands up if you very much dislike someone spoiling the end of a story for you. Yes, quite a few people. Maybe letting slip the plot twist before you watch a film. It's really annoying, isn't it? So I have to be very careful here when I give an example so as not to spoil this film. If no one's one's seen Star Wars, you need to go home and watch Star Wars. But in case anyone hasn't watched this film, it would be like someone, for those who have watched this film, it would be like someone telling you the context and the meaning behind these images before you have watched Star Wars. But when you watch a film for the second time, isn't your perspective different. Certainly for me, I don't feel as tense or as worried, and that's because ultimately you know whatever disasters happen along the journey to the main character, you know how the story ends, you know it's going to turn out well. Take, for example, Toy Story 3. Again, I don't want to spoil this, if anyone's not watched Toy Story 3. Um, Isn't this film just an emotional roller coaster of a film? But let's just say I enjoyed this film a lot more the second time through, knowing how the story ends. So the title for this morning's preach is called When Hard Times Come. 
And as we'll see as we get into the events that unfold in our passage for this morning, the story takes a somewhat darker turn. So we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 37, uh, verses 12 to 36. So please follow along on your Bibles or on your phone, um, or the passage will appear on the screen behind me. So Genesis 37, starting at chapter, sorry, starting at verse 12. So it says, Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, which is Jacob, remember, his father's Joseph's father, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived in Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. They took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, and I had to pause when I read this. So as you do, you've just thrown your brother into a cistern, into a pit to die, and then you're just going to casually tuck into your packed lunch. But anyway, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So before we go any further, I want to address something this morning, that life can be hard. Let's be honest with ourselves and with God, life can be tough. And I know a lot of you have experienced or are currently in the middle of really difficult circumstances and hard times in your life. Maybe you find yourself in a very challenging season right now, 
You might have had, you might have recently received some bad news. Maybe you've had um, a serious health diagnosis or currently have anxiety around finances or stresses at work or the burden of looking after and caring for a loved one or multiple children or um, maybe a loved one has recently died. Let me say it again, life can be incredibly tough. Difficult circumstances and challenges in our life can firstly leave us feeling fragile and broken, um, but can also leave us questioning God. Where were you? Why did you let this happen? Was there nothing you could do to intervene? So as we unpack this message this morning, I will, I will share some hard times from my own life, um, and not so, you can, not so you can feel sorry for me, as I genuinely don't feel I have suffered much hardship in my life, particularly compared to others. Um, but I want to be vulnerable as I believe God wants me to share what he has been teaching me during those times. And if you aren't currently finding life hard, um, then please don't switch off and just think this message isn't for you. Um, the sermon is called When Hard Time, Times Come, not If Hard Times Come. Um, because unfortunately the reality is we will all face hard times and difficult things in life. But what I love about the account of Joseph in the Bible, and as we will see over the coming weeks as this story unfolds, is that God is always in control. God is sovereign over all, and God can work all things for good. So this morning I'm going to focus on three things from the passage that I feel are important when hard times come, and I stand for what is right, trusting God as our rock, and remember how the story ends. So stand for what is right. Joseph is asked by his father to go and check up on his brothers in Shechem. And that is roughly a 50-mile journey that would put him outside of his father's protection. The brothers see him coming, and they want revenge on him. Remember how I said they despised him because he was the favourite child. They have let years of bitterness and hatred fill up in their hearts. And these dreams were the last straw. They are now out to kill him. Verse 19 and 20 says, Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And perhaps there was an element of them recognising the dreams may actually be from God. And they couldn't bear the thought of bowing down to Joseph and wanted to put a stop to these dreams coming to pass. Here we have ten men willing to kill their own brother over a colourful robe and some dreams. They had let their deep jealousy grow into ugly rage, which completely blinded them from what was right. Jealousy left unchecked can quickly grow into something nasty. And the longer you cultivate jealous feelings, the harder they are to uproot. Ask yourself, do you hold jealousy or resentment towards anyone? Are you keeping score of other people's recognition or achievements? And if so, you need to do something about it. You need to bring those feelings before God and ask him to help you love them as he loves them. And we're just going to focus on two brothers in particular for a moment. So firstly, there's Reuben. Um, he is the eldest of the 12. Um, now, he actually comes across slightly better in this story uh, than the other brothers. He didn't kind of fully go along with the plan. He suggests throwing him into the pit rather than killing him, um, which isn't much better. But he did, he did plan on going back and getting him later and rescuing him. But I still feel he comes across as um, weak and half-hearted in his attempts to do the right thing. 
He knows what they're planning on doing is not right. And remember, he's the oldest brother. He had authority to oppose the plans outright, but he lacked the courage to take a stand and speak up against his brothers. And when Reuben returns to the cistern, he finds it empty. Notice how he goes back to the brothers and says, the boy isn't here, where can I turn now? Or as another translation puts it, what will I do now? Essentially, what will happen to me? His primary concern isn't with the welfare of Joseph, it is with what will become of himself. So are there situations you are facing at the moment where you need to take a stand for what is right? To stand up against the crowd and boldly express your convictions. And now this is particularly challenging if you know that taking a stand for what is right will result in hardship or persecution, perhaps being teased or losing friends or perhaps losing your job. So then there is Judah. He is the fourth eldest, but he's actually the favourite to inherit from the father, as his three older brothers have all kind of disqualified themselves, um, either through sexual immorality or extreme violence. Um, And Judah also has a suggestion for his brothers. He suggests they don't kill Joseph, but rather sell him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. Again, this suggestion is the lesser of two evils, but it is still not right. They wouldn't expect him to survive long as a slave. Joseph faced a 30-day journey through the desert, probably chained, probably on foot. He would be treated poorly. Once in Egypt, he would be sold as a piece of merchandise. So this suggestion from Judah is also for personal gain. He is wanting the 20 pieces of silver in place of Joseph. And we will focus more on Joseph. I wanted to introduce him this morning, but we will focus more on him as this story unfolds um, and as the story progresses, and we will see how his character changes. So secondly, we need to trust in God as our rock. Notice in how uh, this section of Joseph's story, there isn't actually any mention of God. The characters are all acting with no thought for God. And by the end of this chapter, Joseph has been on quite a journey. Um, Without food and water, he's at the bottom of a cistern, about to die. If I were Joseph, I'd have been thinking, this is really not how I planned things to go. I really can't see how those dreams are going to come true. God, where are you in this? And the challenges and the hard times that we face in life may not take this form. But as I said before, we will all face difficult circumstances and they can sometimes leave us questioning what God is doing in it all. Questioning whether God even cares. So no, for me, this is certainly how, um, how I felt when my grand passed away after a battle with cancer. Um, I was hurting I didn't understand it. Why would God let this happen? And during that difficult season in my life, I was drawn to a passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 27, which says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Where was God when I was really upset about my gran? He was right here, living inside of me, praying for me. Not only was he praying for me, he was groaning. He was hurting deeply too. Cancer or any disease or illness for that matter was never part 
of God's original plan. And God hates to see his children suffer. When we are hurting so much that we don't know what to pray, the Spirit himself is praying for us. And what a powerful truth that is. I want to affirm this morning that God does care. Whatever hardships you are currently facing, God cares deeply. Despite God not being mentioned in this passage, he is still working. God had not abandoned Joseph. He was watching over him in that pit. He cared deeply for Joseph. Joseph needed to trust God that he would make a way. And we can often say that to each other, can't we? Trust God. He's got this. But to completely trust God when all you can see is the heartache and pain is often easier said than done. So I wanted to share a couple of ways in which I find it helpful to fix my eyes back on God despite my circumstances. So firstly, it is to turn to his word, which is the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is alive and active. Ask God to speak to you through the Bible, to place a certain verse on your heart to encourage you. So there was a time when I was going through um, a particularly challenging situation. Um, I would actually describe it as a battle. Um, It wasn't a physical one, but an emotional and a spiritual battle. Um, And I felt God lead me to 2 Chronicles 20, uh, 15 and 17. And those verses say, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And when I read those verses, I could sense the Holy Spirit with me. The verses spoke directly into my circumstance, enabled me to hand it all to God, to trust him. And I had the first decent night's sleep for some time. Um, And what's more, God came through the next day. Just as that verse said, he was fighting for me and it resulted in breakthrough. And I love that song that we sang earlier, Battle Belongs by Phil Wickham, and the words from the chorus, so when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. With my hands lifted up, oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night, oh God, the battle belongs to you. I am so thankful that God is for us and is battling on our behalf. And God's word is packed full of promises and hope. Um, But the problem is when hard times come, um, we can often quickly lose our focus on God. So I want to say this morning, why not find some verses that speak powerfully to you and try and memorise them? Or put them as the background on your phone or a little note on a mirror. Whatever way will help you to see them regularly and to remember them. Um, So I've listed some verses here that you may find helpful as a starting point. Um, Like John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Or Isaiah 41, verse 10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
So feel free to drop some of these down um, and go away and look at them later or spend some time yourself in God's word and seek out some verses that speak directly to the situations that you are facing. I can also find it helpful to remind myself how big God is by looking out to creation. Now, a few years ago, I went on holiday to Scotland with some friends um, and we arrived really late at night, um, so it was completely dark. Um, but there were so many stars in the night sky. I don't know if you've ever seen it before where there's just no light pollution whatsoever and it's just the stars are incredible and breathtaking. And then to remind myself, as Psalm 33 says, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and the stars were born. And then everything else around us was pitch black. But there's something in me, I could just sense that we were surrounded by something vast. And I felt very small in that moment. And then the next morning when we woke up, we found ourselves in the company of huge snow-capped mountains kind of towering around us on every side. That's why I love spending time in creation. Reminds me how big our God is. Reminds me who I am putting my trust in, who I am coming before and laying my requests to. So I also find it helpful to remind myself of God's faithfulness and his hand at work in the past. And that helps me trust him in the future. When applying to universities... Um, I had my hopes set on Loughborough University. That is where I wanted to go. Um, so obviously I was really upset when results day came around and I didn't get into Loughborough. Um, I was disappointed. I felt like a failure. Um, but it was only years later that I could see that God's hand was at work through it. Ended up at Sheffield University um, where my two account- accountability partners from back home in Peterborough also ended up going to that city. So I was well supported Um, I made a great bunch of friends um, who weren't Christians, but they respected my faith. Um, I ended up being only an hour away from Rosalind when she got into university the year later, two years later. Um, I got a job over in Manchester with a Christian manager, a Christian director, and then I found a fantastic church as well. So when hard times come, remember all the ways God has been faithful in your past. Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 10, how him and Timothy experienced deep troubles, but they put their hope in God to deliver him. Uh, The verses say, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope and he will continue to deliver us. When we hit rock bottom, we need to trust in God as our unshakable rock, on our solid ground. And we can do this by reflecting, as I said, on his promises, remembering who he is and remember, remembering his faithfulness. So finally, final point, remember how the story ends. Um, So when I was at university, I woke up one morning to a text message from my mum, sent at 3am in the morning, um, just saying, please call me when you get this. Now, it didn't take much for me when I woke up to realise that that wasn't good news, whatever she was going to tell me. Um, So my dad had been stabbed. Um, He'd been walking home from a friend's house the night before. Um, He saw what he thought was someone in trouble. Uh, There was one man standing over another... Um, looking like he was threatening him. Um, so as my dad approached, um, he soon realised it was a setup. The two men got up, confronted him. Um, stupidly, I, d- I don't know why, uh, dad refused to give his phone over to them. 
Um, so they chased him, they stabbed him, they took his belongings, and they ran off. Um, so just for the benefit of those that don't know, don't worry, my dad is still alive. Um, but my emotions were all over the place after I heard that news. First and foremost, um, I was deeply worried for my dad. Was he okay? How much pain was he in? Was he going to survive? Um, I also felt um, a lot of anger towards the men that had done that. Um, and questioned God as well. Why had he let this happen? Why hadn't he stepped in and done something? So I'd read about how God has legions of angels at his disposal. Why hadn't he sent a couple of those to look after Dad? But it was only after kind of all those emotions subsided um, that I realised God had been at work, intervening to reverse what was intended for evil um, and genuinely believed that, Dad, uh, that God had his hand over my dad's life that night. So after he was stabbed... Um, Dad somehow found the strength to get to the residential area at the top of the hill um, and knocked on the door of the nearest house before collapsing on the doorstep. Not only was somebody in the house at the time, um, but the person who lived at that particular house was a nurse, um, quickly tended for Dad um, whilst the ambulance arrived. Um, And not only that, but the blade had managed to miss all of Dad's vital organs. So let us not forget that we serve an almighty, all-powerful God. So I know at the start of this sermon, I tried not to, to give away any of the, um, the film spoilers earlier, um, but I'm going to unapologetically spoil the end of this Joseph story for you. God ultimately works it all for good. At this point in the story, it is impossible to see the ending. To Joseph sitting in that pit, and then being sold as a slave, it looked like everything was falling apart. But as we'll see in the coming weeks, what the brothers intended for evil in this story, God, in his mighty power, worked for good. God manoeuvred Joseph to exactly where he wanted him to fulfil his purposes and his plan. And we need to be clear, God is not the author of the evil that Joseph experienced, nor is God the author of the evils that come our way. But God can and does turn that evil for good. When hard times come, remember how the story ends. And that is all well and good when you know how the story ends. But sometimes when hard times come, it is difficult to see how God is at work. Like Joseph, it may not be until a while later that you see God's sovereign hand at work. Whilst on earth, you may never see the complete picture or the finished story of how God works it all for his ultimate good. But there is another story that we certainly do know the ending of, a story that mirrors Joseph's remarkably closely, and that is the story of Jesus. Jesus, like Joseph, was also sent by his father to his brothers. Jesus, like Joseph, was also sold for the price of a slave. Jesus, like Joseph, had people plotting against him to put him to death because of their hatred and their jealousy. And in fact, he was put to death. He was crucified on a cross. But God was also at work in that story and brought about salvation for many. John 3, 16 and 17 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus has beaten death once and for all. He has victory over the grave. So now whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have eternal life, eternal life with our Lord and Saviour. And how amazing does that sound? And the Bible is packed full of verses that tell us about what we can expect when we get to heaven. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Revelation 21. So verse 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. These verses are packed with so much hope. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Just let those verses sink in for a minute. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. There is so much injustice and evil in the world. What fantastic hope these verses bring. So me and Rosalind recently received um, a phone call from a good friend um, to tell us the devastating news that his wife, who was pregnant at the time, uh, had died. Um, And as some of you will know, it's been a really tough couple of months for us. Uh, the death of our close friend and her baby boy um, has really shaken us. Our friend loved Jesus with all her heart. She lived out the call to love people, and she was always full of such joy and laughter. So I believe that um, a suitable response when hard times like this come is to cry in the present. It is right to grieve. Believe me, we've done our fair share of crying, as you can tell. But it is also to have hope for the future. Clinging to the hope for the future. We are yet to see the good that God will bring of this. We may get glimpses this side of heaven, but probably we won't fully understand until we are with God. But we do know the end of the gospel story. Of Jesus' victory over death once and for all. Because of that, we can have ultimate hope in him. It's good. There's sadness in it, but there's also real great hope. Because we know that our friend is in heaven right now. And we trust that God will work all of this for his good. So I really felt it was important for us to spend some time focusing on the hope that we have. Um, So I'm going to play, asked him to put a song on in the background, um, just to give us some space to pause and to reflect 
Um, the song is called Hymn of Heaven. Again, another one by Phil Wickham. Um, but just the lyrics in it are so powerful to focus on heaven, to focus on Jesus' victory. Um, so feel free to remain seated as, as you play this song. The lyrics are going to come up on screen, so feel free to, to read the lyrics or just hear to it. Um, but spend this time reflecting on Jesus on the cross and on heaven.